This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. I feel like when we read uh, certain passages, we are like reluctantly, thanks be to God. <laughs> and then other times we're like, thanks be to God. <laughs> that was good. good to end on a high note. Uh, one of the commentators I read was like, we've, we've left like the dark closet of judgment from Isaiah 1 through 39 and like stepped into the glorious lit space of the gospel, um, which is a little dramatic because there's gospel through there too, but it's making the point that you, there's a pretty big shift in the book of Isaiah when you go from chapter 39 into chapter 40. And so uh, I've said this before, and I'll probably say it through this whole series, it's been, ex- it's exciting for me to kind of lean into a section of scripture where God is like over and over and over again, just reminding us how good and how great and how amazing that he is. And so we titled the series uh, for part four, Behold Your God. <laughs> Behold Your God. And I think you can take that a handful of different ways and, and we'll see how it develops kind of as, as the next couple of months go on. But, I, but I, my thought, and even in this, this section right here, is you kind of have a sense of it is like these things are happening and, and God shows up and his presence is like, boom. It's like there and it's like, behold, this is the God that you worship. This is the one who we sing to. This is the one who we're thankful for. This is the one who's working to change hearts and minds. This is the one, so even when we don't feel it, he is working. Behold, Isaiah is presenting your God to you. So I'm excited to kind of start uh, uh, in chapter 40 on such a high note. And, and ideally, as, as these chapters go on, you'll kind of see we're going to continue on this high note of just considering God. And if there's any part of this that's maybe uncomfortable is Isaiah will continue to press us and say, hey, as you consider God, think about the other things that you might put in his place. <laughs> As you consider how marvelous and how wonderful and how beautiful God is, think about the the idols that you construct, the things that you build that you would go to for joy, for peace, for wisdom, for whatever it is that are less than God. And you kind of get a, I think you get a sense of that even as we read through chapter 40, Um, but there's a a lot more of that as we work through the rest of this section in Isaiah. It's sort of just like, I'm showing you your God so that you would recognize how weak these lesser things are. And you would enjoy him and turn to him and run to him and just see what he is, what he's offering and what he's doing. Um, and, you know, at the end of this chapter, he's almost like, so you would just relax <laughs> a little bit because God is sovereign. He's good and he's in control and he's doing all these things. So um, let me start with a word of prayer and then we'll kind of jump into uh, Isaiah chapter 40. God, you are, you really are so good um, and beyond understanding, <laughs> and um, yeah, we just, we need your help, even as we look at your word, which is uh, your speech to us, Lord, as we talked about last week, even as we consider what you have to say, we need your spirit for these words to illumine our hearts and minds. We need you as you dwell in us to make your word effective. Lord, I pray this morning as we desire to behold you as we desire to trust you more, as we desire to think about maybe the things that we often compare, whether consciously or not. Lord, I pray that your spirit would 
just convict us of, of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Give us discernment. Let us see the beauty and the majesty and, and, and humble us appropriately where we need that, Lord, so that we could just enjoy more of you. So I thank you for this time. Um, I thank you for just the beautiful face of your son who reveals you most clearly. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. All right, let's jump in. Um, I think that I'm, I'm sort of phrasing this uh, chapter 40 around three questions. Um, and each one will be on the screen as we work our way through. Or not, I don't know, it'll be confusing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I look back, you know, it's a, uh, we're kind of, we're gonna be looking at three questions and I'll repeat it either way. So um, we're gonna say, will you believe, will you compare and will you wait? Will you believe, will you compare and will you wait? So so I think that, you, hopefully you'll see where this is going, but as we walk through this, I think the what God is telling to us is, behold, this is your God. Do you believe this? Like, do you really believe what he's saying about himself and who he is? So let's jump in and just start in the first couple of verses. He's talking to Jerusalem. And, you know, we kind of visit this occasionally as we work through the book of Isaiah. And we talked about it quite a bit last week. But this is sort of like a, 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 Jerusalem is like a picture of the people of God. Like a little, little micro, uh, is that a synecdote? Is that like the right word for that? When it's like one thing that, that symbolizes like a whole thing. Some people are laughing, so I may have just said that wrong. But, but, but Jerusalem is communicating to us the, uh, the idea of the people of God. And, and the, it's, it's interesting when he talks, there's two times where he calls them my people. In the beginning of chapter one, he says, my people don't understand me. They don't know who I am. Like the donkey knows how to get to the, the stable. My people don't even know who I am. And so here as he's shifting, look at what he says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that her iniquity is pardoned. And he says some like rough things to his people, to us, even as we talked about it a little bit last week. But here is the good news. And he's starting this with the foundation for kind of all of this is your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And I think even at the very beginning, he's challenging you to believe that. Will you believe that your sins are forgiven? Or do you think that your standing before God fluctuates with how you acted today or next week or this week? Do you really believe, are you really comforted with the reality that your sins are forgiven and you don't deserve it? Because that's the gospel. That's like the central aspect of the Christian message. Like you can't go, you can't get further from that. Like if you're not sitting in a place where you really believe that everything you keep doing, everything that you hate that you do, everything that you don't even know that you do is forgiven because of what Christ has done. Do you really believe that your sins are forgiven? 
because you can't, the next, the next section is, is, is going to be kind of expand on us and, and tell us more about who Christ is and what he's doing. But we can't kind of move on to the reality of God showing up. I can't say, behold your God. If you don't believe your sins are forgiven, that's not a good thing that he's here. Like that's a little bit of a scary fact. If God is arriving and, and he's, he's showing up on the scene to sort of make his people exactly what he wants them to be and transform them and change them, then we have to believe that when he shows up, we're forgiven. <laughs> Will you believe that you're forgiven? It's kind of nice um, having the Gospels. We have a little bit of a uh, kind of cheater on the interpretation of all of these things. Mark actually starts his Gospel he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. And it's interesting in the first verse of this, he's kind of like about to quote Isaiah, but he says, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, it's better understood. He's like, I'm telling you about the gospel like Isaiah is telling you about the gospel. That's, the, that's sort of like the, the way Mark starts the gospel of Jesus. He's like, let me tell you about Jesus just like in Isaiah. <laughs> And he actually goes back to different parts of Isaiah throughout his entire gospel because he's expounding on us the good news and he's interpreting and he's explaining to us what Isaiah was looking forward to. Mark is like, let me tell you how it all went down. <laughs> and he says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40 and read this section. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain will be made low, and the uneven ground will become level. It's like we don't, you know, we can't just hop on I-25 and get there. Like traveling in the ancient world was complicated. And if you didn't have a, a right path to get somewhere, it, it was very difficult. And here is Isaiah saying, look, it's going to be easy. Every possible direction and way to, for, to get to and experience the glory of God is just going to be, everything is going to be flattened. So the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus shows up on the scene as the glory and majesty of God. Everything that Isaiah is prophesying here and is saying this is how forgiveness is gonna come. This is how some of these things are gonna work themselves out and he's gonna talk about the servant as we move on. But he's like when God shows up in all of his glory and majesty and says behold this is your God that's Jesus Christ. That's the clearest expression, the most beautiful reality of the glory of God. And it's now available, think about this, it's available to everyone. Paul says, this has been publicly demonstrated to the nations. Like Jesus Christ, the glory and majesty of God, 
The, the hills were flattened, the valleys were raised up. Here is the gospel. Here, you don't have to go to a temple in a certain space. You don't have to once a year sacrifice a goat a certain way. You don't have to go through all of these different things. He's saying, look, it's just been, the doors have been blown open and the glory and majesty of God is available to all people in the person of Jesus Christ. Which kind of forces us when he says, will you believe? He's saying, do you believe that the things that God are saying are true? Do you believe that his words are truth? That everything that comes from the mouth of God is itself the definer of reality? Because it's absurd a little bit that Jesus is the glory of God that showed up on earth. Like he was homeless. He was, tells us he was not attractive. He drew crowds that didn't really care about him. And at the end of it, all his friends kind of bailed on him. He was, he was humble. That's what the glory of God looks like. Look at what it says in verse six in chapter 40. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The, the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God will stand forever. He's announcing forgiveness. He's announcing Jesus Christ showing up on the scene. He's, he's proclaiming all of these good realities. And he's saying, do you believe that these words that are coming from God are the one thing that will be eternal? This is what you can count on. This is what you can rest everything on. Will you believe that his words are truth? If we do, verse nine <laughs> makes sense what he's saying right here. He's like, I'm, I'm proclaiming this forgiveness. I'm proclaiming the coming of the Lord. Get up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. I was, as I was reading this, I heard an amen about the word of God standing forever because like someone in the group was like, yes, that's so good. <laughs> that's good to hear that. And here he's, if we believe that that's good, he says, that tell people that. <laughs> this should be something that brings you joy, that excites you, that's wonderful. And he says, he's looking at the church, he's looking at his God's people, he says, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of the gospel. Lift it up, fear not. Say to your brothers and sisters, behold your God. This is who he is. This is what he does. He's forgiven you. He loves you. He's demonstrated his beauty in the person of Christ. He comes with might and his arm rules for him in verse 10. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And I like, this is, we're gonna jump to John in a second. He says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with him. That's your God. (laughs) That's his disposition as he speaks tenderly towards you because you're forgiven. (laughs) He's not annoyed. He's not exhausted with you. He's not tired of what you did again. He's forgiven you. And he's gonna gather you in his arms, carry you in his bosom, and gently lead you. That's who he is. Good John 10. I love how Jesus said this starting in verse 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Now, we could go to a handful of places in the Old Testament because God is often communicating himself as a shepherd who is tending his flock. And here is Jesus standing there with about all the clarity in the world and says, that's me. I'm the glory and majesty of God. And I love this. I know my own and my own know me. And that's not like I'm aware of, you know? Like you, you joke about Adam and Eve that biblically knew each other, you know? Like that, that word has a sense of intimacy that so much so that it's used in a sexual content. But the idea is there's an intimate knowledge there. He's not like, I am aware of your name. <laughs> He's like, I know deep down who you are. I know what you struggle with. I know how you failed me. I know where you're wrestling with stuff. He says, I know my own and my own know me. Like I've arrived and communicated my character to you. Just, and man, this is a crazy statement. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Talk about an intimate relationship between two persons of the Trinity. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. This is why Isaiah can proclaim this good news. Like, it's not like Jerusalem got their stuff together and were acting a certain way, and God's like, all right, let's switch to the good part. You guys heard everything I said scolding you, so now high five, you're doing a great job. (laughs) He's like, we have the servant who has died for us. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. He is saying this really bold statement about what he's gonna do. Um, The contrast in chapter one is the people of God, he calls them the Jerusalem whore but Jerusalem will be made a faithful city. Like there's there's like a huge contrast there. And he's like, I'm the one that's gonna step in and do this. I'm the one that's gonna gather people to myself. I'm the one as the good shepherd that will get people from far and wide and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you believe he's the one that's going to do that? Do you believe that he isn't gonna be hindered? 
He says, of all my sheep, I'm gonna lose a few. No, he says, none. Think about this as a church. Like, do you believe that God is going to accomplish this when we're tiny or we're struggling with resources or things are fumbling all over the place or, you know, the number of prayer requests shooting across Emmaus in the last couple of weeks have been legion, which is wonderful to see you guys just turn to the Lord and draw near to him and be encouraged by his presence. When all of these things are going on, when there's like chaos in your life, do you really believe that Jesus is gonna be the one to gather his sheep and not lose a single one of them? He's not hindered. Behold your God. I think another question that then gets asked to us, we get this wonderful picture of salvation, the restoration of all of his people, the the making Jerusalem beautiful. The next question is, Will you compare? Will you compare? I can assure you that God will rescue his people. I can assure you that those whom he uh, elected will be sanctified, will be glorified, like there's a necessary chain there. I can assure you of all of these things. I can tell you that his word is true and that everything has to be based off of that. And we can say, yeah, but... Yeah, but you don't know my brother or my friend or my cousin who could care less about any of this. Yeah, but you don't understand the conflict in my workspace and how hard it is to even bring up anything that's like somewhat spiritual. Yeah, but I've tried, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we have the yeah, buts when it comes to do we believe that God is gonna accomplish his purposes in this world? Yeah, but I now have two children. You know, <laughs> like there's like just pick something <laughs> that 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 distracts you from the glory and majesty of what God has promised to accomplish. Yeah, but you don't know how long I've been struggling with this. And so he's asking us, will you compare? Are you gonna compare God to all of these other things? Look at what he says, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? (laughs) Stood in front of a beach lately. It's like insanely crazy. You can even like see. That's why I don't ever want to go out on a boat where I can see no land all around. (laughs) Just the thought of that. And I've done that as a kid and I'm like, never again. Certain things. It's just like, I don't know. Just not, I'm a land person. Don't want to look for as far as the eye can see and see nothing. (laughs) I couldn't, yeah, that's not for me. Um, Who has measured the waters in the the little curvature of his hand or marked off the heavens with with like an arm stretch, basically. Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in its scales and the hills in the balance. And I love this part. Who, Who has measured or directed, like basically who has given advice to God's spirit? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? 
Isaiah is asking us, will you compare? When you look at all the promises and the things that God has said in his word and, and, and the just even just the, as Timothy would say, like everything we need for life and godliness to make the man equipped. Like, like it's, what we, it's everything we need to be equipped for godliness. Will you compare that to other bodies of knowledge? Will you compare that to other? I mean, we were talking about chat GPT with a bunch of other pastors and this is a fun conversation. And it's like, look at what, what's at our fingertips in a ways that, you know, wasn't at our fingertips. And, you know, that's what I told all my high school friends when Google came out, you know? Like there's, like we have access to a number of knowledgeable things. And I think as the church, and I'll just maybe you know, even speak for Emmaus, like even as Ben and I wrestled with some of the things going on uh, after COVID, it's like, what, what do we need to know <laughs> from who that has this under control so we can kind of make things happen the way we want them to happen? <laughs> Whatever that, you know, heart's in the right place. Totally believe that. But God's like, look, look what I have communicated to you. I've commu- Behold, your God has communicated to you that he will build his kingdom and accomplish his purposes. Will you compare what he said in his promises and his word to this experience that amount of information or this particular place over here? Or are you gonna rest in and just demonstrate the glory and the majesty of God? Will you compare who God is to other bodies of knowledge? Will you compare who God is to other places of strength? In verse 15, he says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket are counted as the dust on all the scales. I think about when I get into my bathroom when I step on my scale, which I don't like to do very much. I never step off and then like wipe the dust off. Okay, all right, now, man, I feel a lot better. <laughs> so, it's not, it's, it's, he, he's, I, it's a fun, he's making a point. The nations, all of the nations, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of polarizing conversation around the state of the country and, and, and those kinds of things. And I'm not trying to, um, I feel like if there's agreement from any side, it's that it's not good, you know? So then the question is like, where do we go from here and how bad or whatever, all kinds of those things. God is saying that insignificant, insignificant compared to who I am. Russia, Ukraine, Western Europe, United States. Behold, that's your God. That's the God that you worship. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? He says in verse 19, an idol? Which there's a little question mark there, like an idol? And I thought about, you know, we we will get chances to talk about idolatry as we work through, as we work through more of Isaiah. But maybe a simple way to think about this is. What do you go to for help instinctually 
that isn't God. What do you go to for help, like instinctually, that isn't God? Because what you're doing is you're comparing God to other sources of help. That's kind of where our yeah but comes in, right? Like, none of us are denying the reality of God, but when X happens, I want Y or whatever. And I said, I kind of wanted to say that like instinctually because God works in means and he's, and he's using things. But when, when, we, when we're in a situation where we're like, ooh, you know, like, oh no, or we're feeling very down or like it's just like, it seems like the world is not happening the way the world should go. We turn to something to help us. And if that isn't first and foremost our creator, we've put that thing in his place. And we have compared the majesty, the glory, the help, the wonder, the beauty, the wisdom, the strength of God to this thing that we put up there instead. To this thing that's fashioned by our own hands. And he reminds us, you know, he kind of goes off and talks about, you know, some of us are more well off and the idols we turn to are gold and shiny. <laughs> and some of us who are struggling, the idols we turn to might be the wood, you know? Like <laughs> there's, there's different manifestations of the things that we instinctually go to for help from God. But look at what he says in verse 21. He's, he's getting at this idea of comparison here. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told from you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. I think that grasshoppers are the one of the first things that JJ found out he could just like flex his strength on. We have a rule that you can't kill bugs if they're outside, I just feel bad, even though I don't really like bugs, but if they're inside, and it was like in the garage door was there, and so it's like the strip of the garage door, and I'm like, the garage is basically inside. He just walks over and he goes, oh, dad. <laughs> just like goes like, I found one I could destroy. <laughs> I was like, whoa, bro, so a lot of zeal there. Plus, he was totally inside, you know? <laughs> it's like, that's, he's a toddler, flexing on a grasshopper and God is saying, you're comparing these other helps to the one who sits above creation when you guys are like grasshoppers. He's the one who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He's reminding us. He's saying, behold, this is the God that you worship. I want, to, I want to remind you of who I am. Brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? To whom then will you compare me? 
So then the last question. I think Isaiah is telling us, he says, if this is who God is, and it's foolishness to compare me to other sources of strength, to other sources of knowledge, to other sources of help, it's foolishness to compare me to those things. He's asking you, will you wait? Will you wait? And I'm just going to be honest, this is the hardest one to say yes to. <laughs> Because no, I don't want to wait. I want to figure it out. I want to pull the levers. I want to make this happen. I want to I, 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 I want to see things change in me and outside and all the above. I want to do all these things. He's speaking specifically to his people who are struggling in a situation where the people of God are just going off the deep end. It's not pretty. He's communicating to us today what Jesus Christ is going to do as he rules and reigns and builds his kingdom, as he comes and brings forgiveness, as he demonstrates, as he literally levels mountains and raises plains to make it that easy to approach the glory and majesty of God. He's communicating all these wonderful truths to us. And he says, why do you say then, Church, why do you say then, God's people, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? If this is who he is, if this is what he's doing, why do we say this isn't right? Why do we say, God, you don't get it? Why do we doubt his character? Why do we argue with his wisdom? Why don't we turn to his strength? And he's saying, will you wait? Will you wait when you don't see him at work? When you sing, even when I don't feel it, he's working. It's another one of those songs where I'm like, do you believe that? I mean, I sing it with you. But when you don't feel like he's there, you have strong confidence that he's still working. Yeah. Will you wait when you don't understand? When you don't get why things are happening the way they're happening? Do you want to give counsel to the spirit of the Lord? I mean, that's what we're saying. Will you wait for him when you're exhausted? And you have no strength left to do anything? Look at how he tries to encourage us again. This is God saying, look at who I am. Behold your God. This is the one you worship. This is the one who tenderly carries you. This is the one who suffered and died because he loves you. This is the one who offers you forgiveness and says, 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. You exist because of him. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Even toddlers, you know, eventually will crash. Sometimes it feels like they never will, but they will. And young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Those of us who accept what God is doing and wait on him to act will be able to rest. We won't get exhausted. And I think, you know, my thought maybe, and I see it on some of your faces, is like, okay, well then how do I wait on him? You know, like what does that mean? What does it mean to wait on God? Like, do we just all sit here until something happens <laughs> for the rest of the day? Can someone get lunch? <laughs> you know, like, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? And I think that's, uh, let's look at, um, let's look at Lamentations. Man, what a, Lamentations is in basically like the worst possible scenario for the people of God. A picture of even the, the suffering that Christ as the true Israel would experience. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. I'm going to read that again, starting in verse 24. This is uh, often in the Psalms, and in, this is another poetic book. There's these like parallel ideas to help us understand what one phrase means when we look at the other phrase. So look at the things as we walk through this that are all together. <laughs> like these, all of these things are kind of communicating the same idea to us. And we won't go there, but you could also go to Psalm 37 and get kind of a similar idea a little bit bigger. So if you want to look at another place in scripture, look at what verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. To the soul who seeks him. You can't wait on the Lord without seeking him. You can't wait on the Lord without seeking him. When you don't see him at work, when you don't understand, when you're exhausted, whatever it is, he's crushed all the mountains. 
He's raised up all the valleys. He's made everything a plain. There is no time that you can't approach him in the throne of grace with confidence. And, and you can't wait on him Biblically, you're not waiting on the Lord unless you're seeking him. And I think it's so easy for me, it's so easy for Emmaus, it's so easy for like the Christian church, whoever you want to like bucket that, to get caught up in all the things we're doing to make whatever happened happen and not wait on him by seeking him not waiting on him by putting our hope in him and not what we think should, ought to, or needs to happen in our space. Let me just tell you that that is like so freeing. Trying to drum up the kingdom of God, let's just say in your home, on your own strength, feels impossible. trying to drum up the glory and majesty of the kingdom of God in your marriage can feel impossible. With your friends, there's like less weight there, right? Like, but even just, even just seeing God's spirit transform people that you like feels impossible. How much more difficult do you think it is if we're looking at a broader scale? It's impossible. And we are pursuing so regularly the things that we think will change stuff and make things happen and will bring the kingdom of God. And he's saying God is the one who is gonna step in, gather his people, gather his sheep. There will be one shepherd, there will be one fold. He's gonna, he's gonna build it up and make Jerusalem the glory and majesty that should be. He's gonna make the church the light that it ought to be. And he's saying, wait on me. And the only way you can do that is if you're seeking him. If you're drawing near to him. Why, that's what the, the beginning of Isaiah is all about terrible worship. Because they're not. that's the place where you come to experience God. That's the place where you really get a sense and say, behold, this is your God. It's not the place where you do the things so you feel better about yourself. It's not the place that you go to because you just should. And when you do, when that's your mindset, God is just like, get that worship out of here. He's like, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm wearied by it. It's disgusting. He's like, just approach me and enjoy me. That's what I've rescued you for. That's why I've forgiven your sins. Wait on me to do wonderful things because I promise to do that. And my word stands forever. Just approach me. Jesus says, knock, and it will be open to you. Seek, and you will find. And when you wait on the Lord, because you're seeking him, you can genuinely say with Isaiah, you can run that race and not grow weary. <laughs> because regardless of what happens, you just get more of God and more of his glory and more of his majesty. Let's pray and ask for his help with that. Father, you are so good. 
Life is very complicated. Um, Church is complicated. Relationships are complicated. Friends are complicated. Children are complicated. Everything. Lord, and it's your word that encourages us to just draw near and worship you. And like water in the desert, Lord, (laughs) your spirit poured out into our hearts as we see and value and know that the love that you have for us, it will necessarily produce the fruit. If it rains a bunch, if we're in your presence, we will turn green. You will change us. You will accomplish your purposes. Lord, help us believe that. Help me believe that. So that I can enjoy more of you, so that I can run the race and not grow weary. In your name I pray, amen.